Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Helen Lewis and this week I talk to Stephen Bush and George Eaton about the Labour leadership race and the fallout from the Lib Dems' annihilation at the election. Then Anna Leskovitz, Barbara Speed and I talk about female-focused comedy and drama. So it's a week on from the general election and the dust has somewhat settled. The post-mortems are, if not finished, then certainly well underway. And I'm joined by our political editor, George Eaton, and our Staggers editor, Stephen Bush, to look to the future. So, George, tell us where we are with uh, the Labour leadership contenders. Yes, yeah, so it was the Blairesque reformists who were the first out of the blocks at uh, the weekend, Chuka and Liz Kendall. And they've now been joined by like, uh, Andy Burnham and, and Yvette Cooper, uh, who both declared uh, their candidacies last night. Um, it doesn't look as if uh, Tristram Hunt's going to run now, uh, but the rumour that he might has allowed him at least to, to float some of his And what about um, Owen, I'm going to say Smith? Uh, yes, the, the Shadow Welsh and I have started doing the Who Are You Backing calls. And there was a surprising level of, oh, I'd actually quite like Owen Smith to run. Uh, someone who's more sort of from the left of the party is yeah, quietly considered very impressive. It's highly rated by lots of uh, Labour insiders, including, of course, the incredibly influential editor of Labour List, Mark Ferguson. But uh, one now, one, the fact that Ian Lavery uh, from the left is throwing his weight behind Andy Burnham suggests his path to 35 MPs mm. is going to be quite difficult. And two, I'm told, yeah, he does have small children. Like Dan Jarvis, he's sort of perhaps willing to wait. But he was, yeah. I was surprised at how much uh, chatter about him there was over the weekend. Isn't that fascinating? I think that was the same thing with, with Dan Jarvis. That we're now at the state where male politicians with young children think that politics is incompatible with a kind of family life. Like basically, you can't be a good dad and be a politician just as hard as people have found it to be a good mum and a politician. Yeah, it's kind of... I blame feminism. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I blame feminism too. I think uh, it, hopefully it's sort of a positive interim stage where... People start going, oh, this is difficult for me as well. And maybe then there's a third stage when people go, well, does it need to be this difficult? Because um, actually sort of one of my many takes on what Ed Miliband did wrong is this high intensity staying up until the, uh, you know, the, the latest hours approach seems a bit unnecessary when you are the opposition. And you're you five years out. You're five years out. You actually can save your energy, partly because tired, stressed people who don't see their family enough make bad decisions. CF the Edstone, CF 
most of uh, the the decisions taken by Team Miliband over the last five years. And so you kind of hope that maybe the, the next Labour leader might actually feel confident enough to go, do you know what, I'm in opposition, I've got small children, we're going to work 10 to 6. And also, I, I talked to somebody from Parley Gender, which is one of the things that one of the groups that's set up to kind of deal with, with gender issues in Parliament, and they said that actually there's been quite a lot of MPs who suggested that they could job share, but it's just been absolutely... Like, I think Sarah Williston maybe is one of them, who have said, you know, actually you could, you could... you could An MP is a job that you could do, both of you could do two and a half days a week, particularly as in all job shares, everyone always ends up doing more time than they're actually contracted to. There are definitely things you could do to make Parliament more family friendly. Um, sorry, that was a, just a personal segue. So, um, so George, is that now looks like that is the field then, the field of four? Yes, I mean, it's who knows if there'll be any 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 later entrants. This seems unlikely at the moment. But of those, um, Andy Burnham is clearly in a very strong position. Um, he would have been in a strong position on a short timetable because he's one of the, the best known as, as someone who was health secretary and then shadowed the brief in opposition. And the long t- longer timetable will also benefit him because he's likely to win the most trade union endorsements and, and the main unions now have more time to sign up their members under the new voting system. He gave the best received speech at last year's Labour conference. Um, so he is in a, he is in a strong position. But in on and on the downside for him, actually, the NHS, which was kind of considered to be Labour's biggest weapon in the election, didn't turn out to perhaps sway that as many votes as they hoped. No, um, but I think it was interesting when he launched his bid in his his video message. He he didn't give his sort of standard stump speech in the way he doesn't need to do that because those Labour activists who love the NHS more than anything and for whom that's their number one issue are going to already be mm. backing him. So he's got to to broaden his appeal, and I thought he did that quite well in his in his opening video and Stephen who do you think um Yvette Cooper's kind of natural support core within the party will be um I mean I think that's actually her problem her natural support core is MPs which is you know obviously was hugely useful under the old electoral college but actually the support of a hundred odd MPs doesn't really mean anything uh under the new one member one vote system the thing I found really interesting is there are lots of MPs who are backing her very few parliamentary staffers who are backing her, and even few fewer just ordinary activists who, you know, you phone up and go, sorry about the result to a constituency chair. And they go, oh, who are you backing? And I go, what's Yvette done? You know, so I, I think I think Yvette is almost a decoy frontrunner in some ways. She's an immense heavyweight. So to get on my Metropolitan Liberal high horse, I found it immensely frustrating that someone who's been an ever-present on the Labour front bench, who's been an MP since 1997, and the first role she talked about in her was says, I'm in politics as a mum. And it's just like, well, you're not, because you became a mum in 1999, at which point you'd been in politics for two years as an MP and some years before that as a SPAD. Uh, it's one of those things where it's just like, on the one hand, you know, the unkind explanation for this is a very clever way of going, not Chucker, not Andy, and not Liz, who doesn't have children. And the other way is going, it's like, really, as a mum, are we, are we still, is that the position we're It's a bit American, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit kind of like, speaking as a mother, yeah, and I'm surprised actually, because if there's one thing that I think I would give Yvette credit for, it's that she is incredibly disciplined, and the the advantage of her as a candidate is that she's just, you know, I think you just feel like a a high level of competence radiates off her, like you just feel like she would just turn up every day she would get things that you know she would be intensely reliable and actually if you look at someone like Theresa May or Nicola Sturgeon or Angela Merkel there is a big market in politics for people who aren't necessarily kind of giving off huge amounts of fireworks and wild charisma but you fundamentally kind of think well things won't get worse 
definitely they'll just turn up and do a, a, a really good job. Um, um, so Chuka's uh, Facebook video to launch his campaign, Stephen, I know you weren't a massive fan. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was one of those things where um, I, I looked at it and I just thought either this was done in one take, which is an odd decision, or it wasn't done in one take, in which case it was an odd decision. It was an odd decision not to keep doing more takes. Uh, yeah, it was. It was not very good. It was kind of sort of fairly hokey, um, which I mean, Isabel Hardman, the spectator, has suggested was a deliberate decision to yeah to get rid of the slick image. I think actually if you're Chucker Amuna, one of your great strengths is you're slick, you're charismatic, you're a bit of glam. And actually I suspect after the five years the country's about to have, a bit of glam will not be that bad. Particularly considering that none of the likely contenders to replace Cameron now are going to be that glamorous. It's not going to be Boris who will you know, be ancient by the time David Cameron steps down. Um, sorry, Bojo. Um yeah, I was I was surprised at how rubbish the video was. Although the content was great and the messaging, the optics of going to Swindon where Labour got gubbed was bang on. <laughs> I've literally never heard that word before. Gubbed. That's yeah, what, having young the young people involved in the podcast brings a whole new lingo, as I believe you you call it. Um, I, I just uh, George, I just want to quickly talk about the uh, the Lib Dems. I wrote my column this week saying basically, you know, do you miss them yet? Um, the premise of which being that I think a lot of people voted because they thought the coalition wasn't that bad. You know, they they liked the continuity. They thought the economy was getting better. They felt that we were on the right course and they would just like to stay on that course. As it turns out, they're not on the same course. You know, we now have a, a, a lot of kind of fairly full-blooded right-wingers in the cabinet. Um, the two I mentioned were, were Michael Gove at Justice, um, who can't resist kind of turning everything into a kind of great battle and now his deputy Dominic Raab who has said some things that uh, like he's called feminists and bigots and said that men should burn their briefs because in some ways they were the most depressed um I don't know whether or not he'll bring any of that to justice but there we go a pretty Patel has previously said that uh, capital punishment is an effective deterrent um I'm sure I could I could go on with there was a kind of great spectacle of people trying to slightly disavow things that they previously said so um Caroline Dinnage who's now equalities minister previously voted against gay marriage and she did a kind of tweet going like oh of, of course I'm in favor of of gay marriage uh, I I love equalities and you're like well you know the reason that we all got the opinion that you weren't was because of your voting record um do you think that that overall the modernizers have not capitalized on on Cameron's victory basically? Um I think it's been a victory for the blue collar modernizers. Um so those who think the original phase of modernization focused too much on uh liberal issues, yes, climate change, um uh gay rights, um sort of liberal social justice policy um hoodies. Um, and and what actually the the Tories needed to do is to um, rebrand themselves as as the party of sort of of, of hard workers of the strivers rather than as the party of of the rich and there was there was definitely elements of that to the to the election campaign so the um, pledge to take anyone earning the minimum wage out of tax um, the pledge actually to put eight billion in the NHS to thirty three three hours of childcare. Um, and there's also the fact that uh, Robert uh, Halfen, who mm. is Jason's favourite MP, Jason's uh, the MP for where our editor Jason Cowley grew up in Harlow, he's long been a kind of champion of 
of kind of you know like you say blue collar conservatism he's now deputy chair of the party right, yeah. underneath uh lord feldman who That's basically right. funded the last campaign and which is helps your ambitions in that regard i think but what about the kind of sort of almost britannia unchained kind of mm. wing of the party are they is that a is that an olive branch to them and b are they going to snap the olive branch off and poke cameron in the eye with it in about mm. six months well cameron has uh had to manage his own internal coalition in this reshuffle. <laughs> so um, whereas before it was all about keeping Nick Clegg and, and Danny Alexander on side, now it's about keeping um, you know, Graham Brady, the chair of the 1922 committee, the Tories um, backbench uh, grouping happy, keeping the, the Eurosceptics happy. Um, it will need work. But at the moment, you know, Cameron walks on water. I mean, he's the first prime minister since John Major in 92 to win a first conservative leader since John Major in 92 to win a majority. Um, he will need to pay greater attention to his party, but um, I think, I think the first, the first year or so will be okay. It's, but the, the test will come when, it, when there is this EU referendum and there's mm. a hardcore group of about 60 Tory MPs who aren't going to be satisfied with anything that Cameron can conceivably bring back from Brussels. And there will be a split there. And one big test will be, does Cameron act as Harold Wilson did the last time he had an EU referendum in 1975 and allow, suspend collective responsibility, allow members of his cabinet to vote against EU membership? It's funny, isn't it? Making it like essentially an issue of conscience. Yes. Like like capital punishment or, or abortion or something like that. Well, it doesn't quite, for me, fall into that category, but I guess it does for some Tories. Stephen, I saw you looking mildly sceptical during that. I mean, I, I think, yeah, there are already issues coming down the pipe where that very fragile coalition he now has um, looks a bit wobbly to me. The ECHR and the Human Rights Act were actually, you know, without wishing to be cruel to the quality of lawyer that they have as Attorney, Ge- Attorney General now, most of the first-rank lawyers within the Conservative Party are sceptical about the value of repealing um, the Human Rights Act and getting out of the European Court of Human Rights. Mm. You only need to find eight um, Conservative MPs who vote against that, and suddenly you're having to offer stuff to the DUP, and the stuff they offer is completely divergent with things the Tory right actually wants. You know, 12 is not a large majority at all, and it's very easy to see, I think, how, having effectively rewarded the Tory right, there are already some people uh, who are kind of... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Classic Cameron allies who are already saying, well, where's my promotion? What did I get for this? Where are the people who stayed loyal? Um, yeah, I, I think that, one, I think that they will do a much better job of advertising for the Lib Dems than the Lib Dems did. But two, I think even within this first year, we may begin to start to see the beginnings of pitched battles between bits of the Tory party. Well, on that uh, pessimistic or optimistic, depending on your uh, point of view, prediction, um, I'll say thank you very much to George and Stephen.
Well, in the NS office, we've been vastly appreciating the comedy of Amy Schumer, who is an American comedian who pursues an explicitly feminist agenda with her comedy. I'm I'm pausing there because I'm aware that for some listeners they will think, oh, feminism, that's not very funny, is it? But no, they are wrong. And you are, uh, uh, and I'm, we're going to prove that you're wrong by telling you exactly why feminism is taking over comedy. I'm joined by our writers, Barbara Speed and Anna Leskovitz. Um, first of all, Anna, describe to me why you like Amy Schumer. Um, so she's been in the media a lot more lately. Um, she's got a new show called Inside Amy Schumer um, that's been doing quite well in sort of a primetime slot in the States. Um, and yeah, she pursues an explicitly feminist agenda in her comedy. Uh, a lot of it is about um, women's issues like rape culture, representation on TV, but it somehow escapes being sober, preachy in any way. Um, she's quite sort of... She's very self-aware and often makes herself the brunt of the joke when it's not the patriarchy. Um, so it's it escapes, yeah, being too in-your-face telling you what to think so to talk about a couple of the one that i watched of her sketches this morning she does a very funny parody of what it's like to be an actress appearing on a late night talk show so basically you kind of come on in your like little tiny dress and your very shiny oiled legs uh and sit down kind of going like and and then you basically have just sort of endure the host kind of slightly low level sleezing over you for five minutes when he goes doesn't she look amazing she looks amazing doesn't she look amazing oh i wish i could murder my wife you look so amazing <laughs> um and why you kind of like, as the starlet kind of has to sort of sit there and kind of go ha, ha, ha. great uh, and then kind of do like that that phrase that was coined that was really influential from Gillian Flynn's novel uh, Gone Girl this idea of the cool girl which I think is something that's really kind of come to have a lot of cultural currency so the kind of the idea behind the cool girl is this is somebody who is much like Ariel Levy's idea of female chauvinist pigs it's somebody who is totally hot and totally amazing you know she chows down hot dogs with the guys but mysteriously is still always a size eight it's somebody who is both simultaneously incredibly feminine but not all the the negative stereotypes you associate with femininity. So she's not kind of whiny and she's not always kind of going on about her diet. She just is thin. You know, she absolutely loves everything to do with sex. She's never complaining about her feelings. You know, she's always up for it. I think that's really what's so great about her as well is that you get the sense that with the cool girl, she's like, been there, done that. I've tried being the cool girl. I've tried being the girl who cares about her diets. I've tried being the girl who like laughs at the sleazy jokes and essentially none of them really very satisfying and... Yeah, she's just very good at like making you feel like she's in on the joke, we're all in on the joke. And... But also I think it's more than that. Is that so one of my um, favourite kind of comedians from the, I guess, late 90s, now this is how old I am, you won't remember this person, uh, but early 2000s, is a guy called Dave Chappelle, who was um, a, an American comedian who was black, and he did a lot of humour that was specifically directed towards black audiences. And he actually eventually, one of the reasons that contributed to him leaving, and he went and lived in, I think, South Africa um, for a while, he sort of basically stormed out of show business, was that he was really worried about the fact that were white people laughing at his jokes in a kind of, in an ironic way, when he was kind of reworking stereotypes in a kind of ironic way, were people getting that level of irony? But he wanted to make comedy, He wanted, as a black comedian, he wanted to make com- comedy specifically for a black community. And when I watched Amy Schumer, I kind of feel that this is for us, right? This is this is comedy for for women i don't know what do you think barbara do you think that men will find it as funny i think there's a danger you're right that the irony might lose a level with some people not necessarily just men but um i think that it definitely resonates most with women because there was like a really good phrase used to describe her comedy as it's about kind of the like the desperation that masks itself as freedom so it's like exactly the way women act um to kind of seem really free and chill and cool. And I think for women that will definitely resonate the most. But I also think that men might recognise, like, I mean, in the sketch you mentioned, there's um, 
like the actor's legs just keep getting like shinier and shinier until like shinier. a gold basically yeah. at the end and so shiny. in another sketch she did like there's he she's a football coach's wife and she just is holding like an ever-growing glass of wine in each scene <laughs> and like that is objectively funny because that is exactly how like and she just says all the stock phrases that those women in films say um but and I there's another it's... one that i thought was the one that kind of i think really launched her for british audiences was the i can't for fear of losing our clean rating on the Apple podcasting, I would say uh, it's the idea of your last bleepable day. So she's got Julia Louise Dreyfus, Tina Fey, um, and they're all celebrating the fact that, you know, she's, she's Julia Louise Dreyfus has had, a, she's had a really good run, but she's now in her 50s and basically no one will, will want to employ her anymore. And what I thought about that was that I thought that marked a certain amount of change because actually when you look at women like that, they are now at a stage where, you know, Tina Fey can get something made, right? She can, not only is she a star in front of the camera she so unbreakable um kimmy schmidt she's the executive producer on you know she's now a, a player in the sense i think that maybe is the is the change is that there are enough women who want to push that agenda who are now in kind of creative roles so it's not just that you get cast as a sort of feisty front woman for something or even you know you are a stand-up comic who is who is basically a freelancer and you just build your own audience around it that actually there have been people who have succeeded within the system and it's telling that they're often the producer the writer the director Mm -hmm. the star all of those things at once and it almost seems like you need that and you need to be friends with Judd Apatow. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's randomly who suddenly become like the king of the feminists. Yeah. Um, but uh, is there anyone else that you think is doing the kind of things that Amy Schumer is doing, Anna? Um, definitely. I think what I, one of the things I like about her specifically is that she also has that edge of just like going into the surreal. So like the the weird like wine glass ever growing. I love at the end of the last bleepable day, um, they just put. Um, they put Julie Mistrofers on a boat and it looks like they're about to set yeah. fire to it like a Viking just, like, funeral. Send it out into like a river that seems to be going nowhere. It's just really weird and funny. Um, Broad City has that edge to it, um, which is a comedy about two girls living in New York um, who are best friends, but it's sort of as far away from girls as really you can get in that quite specific genre of comedy. Of comedy about women in New yeah, York. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it often bizarre things will happen there'll be like a dance scene um yeah it's it, they've got this whole sort of approach to new york that's really like semi fictional and surreal and very bizarre but do you think any of that does i mean girls for all it's incredibly you know generation of op-eds and controversy one of my favorite tweets ever is the happy girls think be season everyone um <laughs> which is you know for the for the viewing figures that it got like Mad Men, it generated a huge amount of kind of cultural conversation that because of what lena dunham did with that is she depicted herself looking really kind of like dumpy like deliberately she shot mm. herself in really unflattering ways when she's not a you know not a hideous woman by any means that that that's the big change is that actually there is now a market for women looking a bit stupid and not looking yeah. you know but i think also what's interesting is that compared to schumer or to broad city girls is quite somber and quite yeah it's not a laugh a minute it's actually quite it's quite sad and i think it's interesting that it was it sort of broke the turf and then now it's almost paved the way for slightly more joyful more irreverent things that don't have to answer to questions about like oh why are these women being so weird <laughs> like I because think it's yeah, yeah it's it sort of it was the first one and i think maybe that's why it's imperfect because it was on it burst onto the scene of like things about men doing jobs 
and yes, that it got made at all was yeah. a was a kind of a miracle. Never mind. But that's yeah. something. So Emily Nussbaum from the New Yorker wrote a brilliant piece about Amy Schumer, and one of the things that she said about it is, you know, about this idea about doing feminist comedy that very much sells itself as feminist comedy. It's not sort of stealthily or sort of snuck in there. Is that when you are put on a pedestal, everyone tries to look up your skirt, and mm. and and the backlash is is coming. Mm. And do you what form do you think it will take? It's so hard to say. I think one of the thing, one of the trends almost that we're seeing in this, like comedies that are explicitly kind of female focused, is you start off with sort of very pretty comedians who can make it, and then you get you know people like Melissa McCarthy and Rebel Wilson coming in who can make it and don't have to conform to a certain look, and then you get people who can just be very very silly and playful. Um, so I think whatever the backlash is, it's just a line in the sand saying, well, actually we've we've made it a certain way. But also I think just that these comedies now are almost able to be for women without having to be just like trying to redefine the cultural space and so in a way the backlash can only be quite limited if it's men being like oh but women aren't funny though like that's it that loses I suppose that some is of the its lust post kind of girls thing is that no one is ever going to say that any show should try and represent all of human female experience yeah, but my worry about it is you know um looking at kind of countdowns of really great comedy shows one of the ones that often comes up is is Roseanne and that was you know that was very much Roseanne Barr's kind of initial sort of genius and and drive she was the driving or kind of auteur behind that really and it was interesting because it portrayed a very obviously kind of working class provincial family who you know didn't live vastly exciting glamorous lives you know they went kind of bowling and and had arguments in the in the supermarket and then since then it's been hard to see another Roseanne coming through and my worry is that you kind of when anything becomes fashionable or they become and it spawns some imitators and then it's it's done and that will be like we will get two years of of this and things will be commissioned off the back of it being successful and then it'll be like oh well but yeah now like women aren't you know everyone's done funny women like let's get back to, <laughs> to something else I don't know whether or not that maybe that's an overly depressive view yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just quite heartened by the range of people you're seeing. Like, a couple of recent independent films were really good and, and they were really building on what girls did, I think, but in a really different way. So, uh, Appropriate Behaviour was, again, about a young woman and she was going through a breakup, but she was also she was bisexual and Iranian, um, which brought in loads of like other issues and I think actually gave it a bit more depth than girls had. And then there was Obvious Child, which was like the abortion comedy as it became known. But again, that had a lot of backlash in the states because of its subject matter but then i also think the next thing about abortion will have an easier time because we're kind of pushing forward and talking about kind of female focusings you saw girlhood didn't you which is not the sequel to boyhood no um yeah it was it, it was basically looking at one girl's experience um in yeah a very deprived area of the parisian suburbs um and her kind of attempts i guess to get out of it would you agree yeah in really unorthodox ways yeah like i feel like things about the paris suburbs you you feel like they're meant to be about how you go to the straight and narrow and you move into paris and you become a middle class person and that's she basically joins a gang as a way of gaining independence in and the film just does it in a really good way and it's incredibly non-judgmental um and it's just kind of about how people try and deal with their situations yeah you're neither like Um, oh we don't want her to like resort to petty crime um and you're also not like oh this is a great thing we're so excited for her that she's found friends in this gang it's like somewhere between those two things you don't want her to make life more difficult for herself by getting in trouble but you also recognize that this has been weirdly very empowering for her 
Um, so the fact that you can make films that are like that nuanced mm. when it comes to female experience is obviously an achievement. Well, it's a, a, a rare burst of optimism from the New Statesman podcast as we go. Maybe things are like are getting better. <laughs> um, more Fingers misery uh, next week. Um, but for the moment, uh, thank you, uh, Barbara and Anna. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.